I was, I was so excited this morning. I'm back there singing, and I look over here, and uh, Madeline Baez is gone. She's just, how old is she? She's two, and she's got her hand up praising the Lord. I'm like, there we go. She made my day. That's awesome. Well, hey, for those of you who are new to Revolution Church, we are so glad that you're here. We like to go through books of the Bible, and right now we are studying the remarkable Lord Jesus as taught to us through the Gospel of Mark. And so we're a little more than halfway through. And so I want you to follow along as I read to us Mark chapter 12, which is where we're at this morning. And keep in mind that what's happening right now is this is the week that Jesus knows that he will be killed. So all of that's just happening right now, this is like literally 48 hours before the, the torture will begin. And I want you to be amazed at how remarkable Jesus is, and he's totally composed. I mean, if you knew that you were going to be brutally murdered 48 hours from now, I don't think we, any of us would have the composure Jesus has. But watch how Jesus uh, composes himself here. And so they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and that you do not com- uh, care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why put me to this test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and said to him, Who's, And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And would everybody read the last verse with me, verse 27? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the word of the Lord. What a way to end the scripture. You are quite wrong. But we know who he's speaking to. So, how many of you ever heard of a Burmese tiger trap? You ever heard of a Burmese tiger trap? You basically dig a pit, and the holes aren't as, always as neat as this one. And you put spikes facing upward in the ground, and then you cover it with grass and brush and things like that. So a tie, And then maybe sometimes you'll put a piece of meat 
in the center of that. So a tiger will come along and step and fall into the dra- trap and, and then uh, be impaled you know, in multiple ways. It's a deadly trap. Well, what's interesting is here, this is the same word that's used to say that the Sadducees wanted to trap Jesus. They weren't just trying to say, ah, gotcha. They literally were trying to use his words against him to kill him. They wanted him to say something, and this is what they've been trying to do for three years, try to get him to say that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and little by little he's been leaking out ideas here and there, but then this week he will flat out say it because he wanted to be in control of when he would die. So he, he's doing the miracles and he's teaching in parables and he's doing things basically in code, you know, as we know that parables are. Parables are to reveal the truth to those who are willing to believe the mysterious, but to conceal the truth to those who ignore the obvious. And that's what he's doing with his teaching here. So it says that they sent. The Pharisees came and just got done confronting him because what did Jesus do a couple days ago? He turned over the tables in the temple and he cleansed the temple and he basically kicked people out and then forbid anybody to come through and bring their goods in anymore. Just stood at the gates and said, no, no, you're going around. You're going around. This is the court of the Gentiles. This is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, not just Jews. And you basically have pushed all the, the Gentiles out with all your marketplace here and your shenanigans with ripping people off. I'm not letting you come in here anymore. And so the Pharisees come and say, hey, by, who, by whose authority do you do this? And of course, Jesus says, well, you want to ask me a question? Let me ask you a question. John's baptism, was it the authority from God or was it from men? Of course, they didn't want to answer because they didn't want to be politically incorrect because the crowd was for John. They said, well, we don't know. He said, well, then I'm not answering your question. So they go away and they come up with this plan. And so we're going to send some key people here, not just some certain Pharisees, but now we're going to bring in Herodians. Now, you, you see the name Herod there in Herodian. These were followers of Herod. They were very loyal to the Roman government. They had no problem with the Roman occupation because they were probably entrenched in the government of it all. They were making money off of it. Okay, And so these were uh, Idumeans, so they weren't pure Jews. So they weren't even really necessarily religious per se. They were more of a political thing. So this is a really weird alliance between right-wing Pharisees who are devout Jews, and then they go and get these people who are, so this is like this is like Trump supporters going getting the far radical part of the Democratic Party and say, hey, let's work together. You know, and it's just so radical that this is happening. But that's what happens when people work together when they're on the side of evil. And so, so they wanted to trap him. They wanted to trap him in his words. They wanted to set a trap like a, for a tiger so that Jesus will be destroyed. And then in verse 14 it says, and they came and they said to him, teacher, which They don't like Jesus at all, and yet they're giving him the title rabbi, which is what teacher means here. They're so fake. Do you know people that are fake? It's easier to spot them than people realize. But anyway, they're being real fake about, oh, we know that you are true. Then why are you trying to kill them? They're just lying through their teeth. And I put the you in there because it's still the same sentence. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. What they're trying to do is bait Jesus into being really outspoken this time. You know, don't speak in code anymore, Jesus. Don't speak in parables. You know, you're not scared of what the crowd thinks, right? They're using kind of psychology on him, and and they're trying to get Jesus to just flat out say something that will entrap him with his words. 
and you don't care about anybody's opinion. Now that part is true. Jesus doesn't care about people's opinion, which is a good thing to do. And Jesus is the true teacher, and we know the true, but all this is just basically flattery, which we'll talk about in a second. But what you see here, they're going to say some things that aren't true, and one of the most dangerous ways to change people for the evil side is to have truth sprinkle them with things that are dangerous. Truth mixed with a lie is the most dangerous deception. If all they did was speak flat out lies, people would like, I'll listen to you. But if they, if 97% of what they say is true, that 3% slips in pretty easily. And that's what, that's what's happening to us all the time. It's happening in the music that our world listens to, in the movies that the, that's being presented to your kids, all the media, social media, everything like that. It's all truth, 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 lie, 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 slipped in trying to be very subtle about it to brainwash the next generation and everybody involved. So, you see, gossip is what they say behind your back that they won't say to your face. But flattery is what they say to your face that they won't say behind your back. They're saying these things to Jesus' face, but they don't say this behind his back. They're, they're totally flattering it. And what, what, do people, what are people trying to accomplish when they flatter? It's manipulation. Trying to get you to say something you wouldn't normally say, do something you wouldn't normally do, and they're flattering you, and it's it's all manipulation. And people definitely do that. And then they say, "For you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God." And again, they're acknowledging all this truth, but they're slipping in falsehoods in here. Um, and so they are trying to use flattery on Jesus to manipulate him, and we are all susceptible to that. But it doesn't work on Jesus, thank the Lord. Um, let me see. I'll go further here. So, I don't know how that got messed up. Here we go. So, for you are not swayed. And then he says, so is it lawful? Now, here's the, good, here's the question. Are they talking about Roman law or God's law? And really, they left it vague on purpose because they want to say, if you, if you, if you go by God's law, we're going to get you in trouble with the Romans. If you go by Roman law, we're going to get you in trouble with God's people. So they're, they're, they left it vague on purpose so that he could answer the question in a way that would trap him. So is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now think about that. You think our government is evil, okay? I, I have a hard time paying my taxes when I know that funding is used for abortion to kill babies. And all kinds of other things to brainwash kids and teach them things that we know are not true, okay? But God says pay your taxes. So don't use this opportunity to say, well, I'm not going to pay my taxes. It... Think about Tiberius Augustus Caesar is the emperor right now, and he is brutal, okay? He is totally ungodly. He's not even close to giving people the, the freedoms that they deserve and all that stuff. And if Jesus could say, pay taxes to him, we can pay taxes to our government, okay? I know a guy once who, who said that he, he, does, he hasn't filed a tax return in like 14 years because he doesn't support our government because of all the evil things. Well, that's, I'm sure eventually he got in trouble for that. Jesus, as you know, then the story, he says you should pay your taxes, but they want, they're asking that question. Again, they're trying to trap Jesus on one side or the other. Either get him in trouble with the Jews or get him in trouble with the Romans. But knowing their hypocrisy, when we try to be fake, you might think you're tricking other people, although I don't think you are as well as you think you are, but you might trick a lot of people, but we don't trick Jesus with our hypocrisy. And we need to understand what hypocrisy is. Now, see, lost people and atheists who like to troll on the internet and things like that, they'll say, see, look, this Christian messed up. He's a hypocrite. Not always. We never said we never mess up. 
It's when we mess up and we cover up, but keep saying, don't do this, don't do this, but we're over here, we're doing it at the same time. That's hypocrisy. It doesn't mean you never mess up, right? We all mess up, amen? Yeah, that was kind of weak. We all mess up, amen? <laughs> you, I'm not the only one to mess up, I don't think, anyway. So, but he knows their hypocrisy, and he knows our hypocrisy. That's why we just need to lay it on the table. And don't let your imperfections inhibit you from sharing Jesus with others. Jesus is not asking that you become perfect before you can share the gospel. In fact, many times it's through our weakness, our frailty, and yes, even our sin, that an opportunity to share the gospel comes. I remember when I was 15 years old, and me and my friend Andy, who, by the way, uh, well, I'll tell you that in a second. Um, me and my friend Andy went to a party, and, and you know, dance and do all those things the Baptists don't do. And uh, anyway, and then I did some stupid stuff there at the party. I'll just say that, okay? And then he and I are walking home, because we're, we're teenagers, and that was back in the day when you could walk a few miles and not worry about it. And we're walking home, and I'm pretty discouraged because I really acted stupid. And Andy's like, what's wrong? And I told him, I said, you know, I, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm not supposed to do stuff like that. And I'm really feeling guilty about it. And then he started opening up to me about his guilt and things that are bothering him. And by the time we got to my front porch, we had, we had had a gospel conversation. I said, wait right here. I went upstairs, I got my Bible, and I lend my, my best friend, Andy, to Christ. Right there. All because I was open about my sin and my failure. So God uses even our failures. Now, that is not telling you go out and sin so you can witness. Okay, I'm not telling you that. Gary is not telling you that at all. And so it's interesting because this past Sunday, Andy preached his first Sunday morning service at his church. So Andy's like growing in Christ like crazy. Anyway, so he says, well, why are you putting me to the test? It's a rhetorical question. He wants them to stop thinking, wait, why are we testing Jesus here? Because we, we are trying to kill him, right? And Why are we trying to kill him? Because we don't agree with what he teaches or really because we don't want to lose power. And so I think he wants, I'm, I'm sure that there was someone in that group that was going, wait a minute, yeah, why, why are we doing this? Because we know that after the resurrection, there were several members of the Sanhedrin who came to Christ. Nicodemus, for one, and, and uh, Joseph of Arimathea, for another. So there's people who were like, maybe this is the real deal, who came out later. And then what's interesting, he says, bring me a denarius. Jesus doesn't have one on him. You see, if Jesus pulled one out of his pocket... They'd be like, aha, see, you have a graven image in your pocket. But Jesus, he, he could have had one, maybe he didn't, but he's smart enough to say, hey, bring me one. Oh, you guys have one in your pocket. Let me see. Because guess what coins are? They were graven images. You see, the reason Pontius Pilate, who we'll be talking about here in a few weeks, was in so much trouble with the Jews is when he came into power, he wanted to show his loyalty to Caesar. So he posted banners and statues everywhere of Caesar, Caesar not knowing the Jews don't do graven images. And not even realizing why the, the, the governor before him didn't do that. And so, man, the Jews went berserk on him. And he was, uh, anyway, he was not happy about it. So, anyway, even a coin was an abomination to Jews. Because they had to walk around. Because it was a graven image. But not just a graven image of a man. But it said on the coin, Tiberius, son of the divine. Tiberius claimed to be the son of God. All Caesars ascended to godhood. And on the other side of the coin was his mother basically saying that she was, she was the high priest. So this was blasphemy. That on one side of the coin, God claiming to be God 
And the other side is his mom claiming to be the high priest. And, you know, we believe in the priesthood. And you guys are blaspheming it. And even the coins were an abomination to them. So they had one in their po pocket. And what, what it said on the coin was Kaiser Curios, which is Latin for Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. By the way, you ever notice Kaiser? Does that sound familiar in history? Who had that? The Germans, right? And they would say Heil Hitler, as in praise Hitler, and the Kaiser before him and all that stuff. Anyway, but Jews would go around saying, ah, Kaiser Curious, no, no, no. Christos Curious. This was this was this was treason. This was saying, No, he's not the Lord of my life. I, I do not acknowledge him as God. I acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, that he is deity and he is my high priest, that he's both sides of the coin. Um, and for that, many believers lost their lives. Jesus said to him, render, which the word render means to return. So if you borrow someone's tool and you give it back to them, you're rendering it back to them, okay? And you should do that, by the way. It's not very Christian to borrow someone's chainsaw and not give it back. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But here's the thing that most people don't quote. And to God, the things that are God's. So you look at the coin. Whose image is on it? It's Caesar. So that says the coin belongs to him. But then Jesus says, so render to God the things that are God. Where is God's image? It's on us. We are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. Okay. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, you know, God said, let us, the, 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 the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, let us, Make man in our image and our likeness. Now, an image is a representative, something that represents you. A, a statue could represent you. You could send a person to represent you. An image is an image bearer is someone who represents you. Now, you can have someone represent you who looks nothing like you. But likeness says that not only does, does man represent us on the planet, but man resembles us on the planet. He is the representative and he is the resemblance. So we, we resemble God. And we say, well, how so? Does God, you know, is God six foot tall? You know, does he have brown hair? No, no. God is three. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is the essence of God, if you will, or the soul of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And Jesus would be what? The body of God. And what are, we are made a three-part being. Body, soul, and spirit. So we are creating God's image just like that. We represent him in this world. And we are to have dominion over it. And we also resemble him in this world. Let me ask you a question. Do you resemble the Lord? Do people get a glimpse of what the loving Jesus is like when they've been around you? Do they walk away going, wow, I know that person's not perfect, but there's just something different. That, that's, that's what should be the case. We should be representing him in our resemblance and in our image. The reason God doesn't want us to make any images, according to the Ten Commandments, representing or, or the likeness resembling him, it's because that's what we are. That's the whole reason of no carved images and no images that we would worship because we are the re representation of God in the world. So let me ask you the question. How are you doing bearing God's image and representing him in your corner of the world? If I was, and I won't do this, by the way, so don't get uneasy, but if I was to come to your workplace and say, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? Would they say, I don't know what's different about them, but they just seem to be the nicest person. And, 
and they seem to just be very loving and kind and on and on. Is that the reputation you have? What about your next door neighbor? What about your spouse? Would they say that you represent Christ and you resemble him in your doings? Are, are we living in his likeness and resembling him in the decisions we make? Man, we make decisions all the time. Little ones and big ones. And Jesus says we're supposed to honor him at all. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says whether you eat or drink. Those are, seem like little decisions. But do all to the glory of God. Are we representing him well in all the decisions that we're making? You see, and the Sadducees, now we go to another part of the story here. The Sadducees. So there's the Pharisees who are the majority of, of um, religious teachers. But in the Sanhedrin, they're the minority. It's, it's kind of like America. You know, we have the majority of Americans, or I don't know if we're, we're past the tipping point, you know, kind of share our same values. But then when you go to Washington, D.C., it's like liberals control everything. This is the way it was in those days. The liberals controlled the Sanhedrin, even though they weren't the majority in the population. The majority of the population followed the Pharisees. And they came to him. And so the difference in the Sadducees and the Pharisees, there were several, but the main one is Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. They did not believe in afterlife. They believed you died and that was it. But while you live, honor God as best you can. And, that, and that's why they were sad, you see. So the Pharisees, they did believe in resurrection, although they got a lot of things wrong, so they were fair, you see. And so they said there's no res- resurrection, and so they asked them this question. And also, by the way, they don't believe in angels. Sadducees don't believe in angels. They don't believe in much of su- supernatural. In fact, the Sadducees only believe in the first five books of Moses, and that's it. All the other 34 books of the Old Testament, they don't believe. They believe they're good history, maybe some good inspiring teaching, but that they're not the Word of God. So it, in that way, they're like almost ultra-conservative. It's really weird how they do this. So they say, teacher, again, it's probably cringing them to say this. So Moses, talking about in the first five books, wrote for us what's called the Leveret Law. If a man dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no children, that man must take a widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So a lever was a brother-in-law. So the Leveret Law was that a brother-in-law who had not married yet, as a courtesy to this woman to carry on her brother's name, and it was a social thing because widows were a a drain on society. There was no laws that said you had to take care of them at that point. So this was the social fabric that kept widows protected and carried on the family name, which also carried on that possibly the genealogy of Christ. There's a lot of things involved in it. We would say it's kind of icky, but again, it was a social thing for survival back then. So that, that's what they were commanded to do in this what's called a leveret marriage. So we read the story. Seven brothers. Now, where did the Sadducees get this story? I don't think they totally concocted it. Um, there is a, uh, a, um, a pseudepigrapha book, which is non-canonical, which means it wasn't part of the Bible. It was just something that, full of legends and stories. And there was this um, same story where seven brothers kept marrying the same widow, and at night a demon would strangle them. So did they get it from that? Maybe. Maybe they did. I don't know. But um, I think if I was brother number seven, I'd like, uh-uh, <laughs> no black widow for me. I'm marrying her. I saw what happened to my brothers. But evidently, again, it's a hypothetical story, so he does it and, and marries her, and they're each one of them failing to reproduce, and, of course, then the wife dies. They're asking this question in the resurrection, which we don't believe in, but you silly 
Pharisees and Jesus, you rabbi, you believe in this stupid resurrection thing. So in your hypothetical resurrection, Lord, you know, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? Take that, Jesus. You know, because they thought that was a problem for the, those who believe in the resurrection. And then they repeat, for the seven had to remind you. And Jesus like, yeah, thanks for reminding me. I wasn't really paying attention to your st- stupid story. And Jesus said to them, <laughs> and can, do you see like the, the, the sarcasm Jesus has here? And just like the anger, and which shows us that just like Paul taught the Ephesian church, he says, be angry and sin not. So what does that do with anger? Anger isn't always a sin. It's what you do with it, right? So Jesus is angry and he's directing it in the right place. He's, he said, is this not the reason that you're wrong? You're just flat wrong. I'm going to call you lefty because you ain't right. You guys are flat wrong because you don't. Here's there's two things you have no clue about. You don't know the scriptures. Who is he talking to? Guys who their full-time job was to study not 39 books like the Pharisees, but just to study five, and you don't even know those. You have no clue what you're doing. And not only do you deny the scriptures, but you deny the power of God. You see, he didn't say, you're either wrong on the scriptures or you're wrong on the power of God. He said, you're wrong on both. And you realize that's the problem with people who are lost. They don't want to believe the Bible and they don't believe in the power of God. That, that's the problem with, with, is with both. You see, they will come to issues like evolution. And they'll sit there and they'll try to twist the scriptures. Well, it's not six literal days, even though that word, that Hebrew word yom is used literally for 24 hours all throughout the Bible. And yet they will say, well, it's not literally that. You don't understand the scriptures. And also, obviously, can't God just speak the world into existence? What kind of God do you have that's like, ah, eh, I can't do anything? You know, what, what kind of God do you believe in? You don't believe in the power of God. So that's, that's the problem that people come to. And we see this with, with the whole LGBT movement. You don't understand the scriptures. This lifestyle is condemned. We love you, but you are injuring yourself. You are hurting yourself. You are doing irreversible damage to your body by trying to change the way God created you. So not only, you don't understand the scriptures when you try to twist them and say that, oh, it's okay, Jesus never said anything about that, blah, 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 blah. But you also, do you not understand the power of God that if you struggle with that, that he could change you? Or if he doesn't choose to change you, that he will give you the strength to, to resist that temptation of that lifestyle for a lifetime? Did you understand the scriptures or the power of God? We could apply these two things to any issue you want to point to. The environment. Environmentalist wackos, whatever. They don't understand the scriptures, what it says about it. They don't understand the power of God and what his ability to renew the planet. I'm not saying be, just go out and litter and do trash like that. You're not, that's not what I'm talking about at all. But you could apply it to any topic, and that really is the issue that comes down to it. He's, and Jesus goes on with his answers. He said, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry, which is talking about the sons. The, the sons are the ones who will go out and choose to marry, nor are given to marriage, which daughters are given by their fathers in marriage. You know, at, the, at a wedding, most traditional weddings, they'll, the, the pastor will say, and who gives this bride to wed? And the, the, the dad will say, her mother and I, right? W- women are given in marriage as a gift. It's a beautiful picture of Christ and his church, that the son goes out and takes the initiative to, to find a bride, and then the bride is given by the father. It's a beautiful picture there. And he says, but they are like, everybody say like, like angels in heaven. Are we angels in heaven? No. Okay. You don't sound too sure. Okay. 
No, we are not angels in heaven. We were not previously angels in heaven. That's what the Mormon teaches, the Mormon church teaches, that we used to be angels and God has sent us down here. And then, you know, people say all kinds of cheesy things at funerals. Well, God must need another angel. Um, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't need another angel. He wanted you in heaven because you are much better than the angels. Do you understand that? We were created lower than the angels, but through salvation in Jesus Christ, we've been exalted above the angels, and someday we will judge the angels. That's why the Bible says that the angels look into the gospel and are just like amazed. Like, do you believe this? These creatures down here who are lower, less powerful than us, God for some reason is obsessed, obsessively in love with them. So much son that he sent, so much that he sent his son to die for them. And angels are like, wow, he didn't do that for us. Man, one-third of the angels are bound against God. He's like, boom, boom, you're done. No second chance. But he gives these people second chance, third chance, two millionth chances. What is up with God's love for these people? And I'm thankful for that love, amen? And so we are, it's, the, read this in context. Good Bible interpretation is just like real estate. It's location, location, location. Where does this verse appear? Who is he talking to? And he's talking about the resurrection and the afterlife. So in the afterlife, in this respect, when it comes to marriage, because I just gave this silly story of seven marriages and seven funerals and no children, he says here, in this regard, we're like angels. Well, how is that so? Well, angels don't reproduce and have children. That's how so. Now, is there anybody else in here besides me that goes, ah, oh, darn, you know, no marriage in heaven? I mean, I would love to spend eternity with Tammy. Just keep that good thing going, right? But really, and, and something inside of us is like, ah, oh, darn. But please wipe that out of your head, okay? Everything that is positive in your relationships with your spouse, okay, take that and multiply it by a billion, and that's what you'll be experiencing in heaven, okay? Everything from intimacy to companionship to uh, sharing hobbies and interests and having children, all those are just little appetizers of what heaven is going to be like. So don't get obsessed with that. The Mormons believe that the reason they used to practice polygamy is because someday you will be a god and you'll have your own planet and you'll populate that planet with all your spiritual children that you had with all your multiple wives. Of course, they back away from all that because they want to look mainstream Christianity, but they are absolutely are not. They believe Jesus is a spirit brother of Lucifer. Joseph Smith had 19 wives. Two of them were minors when he consummated the wedding. That's a, called pedophilia. Okay, the, the guy was corrupt. They believed that the blacks were the cursed race and could not go to heaven. Mormonism is dangerous. You need to stay fast and far away from it. So we will be like the angels in heaven. Um, and that's regard to marriage only. Now, so if, if there was marriage in heaven, let's just say there was. Here's another reason that's not, there's not. But it would follow that there would be children because the whole purpose of marriage is to reproduce. And since that's the primary purpose of marriage, you'd be seeing marriage producing children. And if children were born in heaven, that would be a second way to the Father, in addition to Jesus, who said, I am the only way. I am the way. So that's another reason there's not marriage in heaven, because you have kids, well, how did you get in heaven? Well, I was born here. Well, how, how's that right? <laughs> I had to get saved. you just born here. you just popped out. So it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. That's another reason that this is, this is the way it is. So, what do, uh, popped out, there we go, said that in church. Okay, oh, what do other religions think about heaven? See, the dumb statement people say all the time, and only, Ameri only Americans say this. People around the world don't say this. 
All roads lead to the same place. We are so inclusive. We want everybody. Everybody's good except for those right-wing Christians. We're all good. We're all inclusive. Okay? And they're all just paths leading up to the same mountaintop. That is an insult to a Muslim. Muslims are like, no, you're not. <laughs> We're not all going to say And And to all the other religions, they defend us vehemently. Like, no, they don't. They're wrong. We're right. And this whole ecumenical thing, only universalists believe that, and that's why their church is so small. Um, but like, let's, let's look at Hinduism. They don't believe in heaven or hell. So how can you say they lead to the same heaven? They don't even believe in heaven in Hinduism, okay? They believe that death is a system of reincarnation to where you're born into a different body, and it's largely determined basically on, on the decisions you made in your previous life. And they believe that humans are bound to this illusion, the whole idea that you are a male and you're six foot two and brown hair. It's all an illusion. You're not any of that. You're just part of the universe, but here you are living this lie until you finally realize, oh, that's not true. And then you get to come back as a cow or come back as something else. If you were really bad, you come back as a cockroach. And it's just all this right here. And there are Christians who believe in reincarnation, even though the Bible is 110% against it. Hebrews says that it's appointed man once to die, and after this a judgment. You get one life, and then you're judged. There's not multiple lives. You don't come back over and over again. And they believe that when the soul has learned all your life's lessons, and you've, you've, you've completed his karma, which is one last life, then you leave the physical body. And that's another thing that you see throughout other world religions, is that you get to escape this sinful body. Christianity is the only one that says, no, no, I'm going to redeem your body and make it amazing. You see the difference there? Don't say that they're all roads living and they're all pretty much alive saying be a good person. They're absolutely not. Let's take uh, Sikhism. A person's actions determine whether his life or his soul is destined for great agony and pain in the underworld or they end up merging with God. You see, think about this. God created you as a very unique person. You are one in billions. Even your thumbprint says so. Everything about you says you're unique. And God loves that uniqueness. But you know what every religion in the world does? Now you just blend in. You just become part of the universe, part of the spirit God. And what I'm saying is you're going to be you for all eternity. And you're going to be amazing because God created you. He, what Jesus Christ did is he redeemed you. And when your body is resurrected and your body is glorified and your body is up in heaven... You will be amazing because you're created and you're glorifying God in His image as an individual. You will keep your individuality through all eternity. That's why we will know each other. And men, Ashley, you think you know Chris now? You will be blown away by Chris in heaven. Okay? If you think he's amazing now, just wait till then. And that's the way we will be with everybody. I mean, that's why for all eternity, it's like, I'll be talking to Clayton for days, going, man, I didn't know that about you. And then I'll get talk to someone else for days or weeks or months and just goes on and on and on with billions of people, not to even mention Jesus. You see that heaven is so much more than we give it credit for. We, we act like, you know, we, we go to uh, Six Flags and we think, oh, this is great. That's nothing. I mean, that, that just, that's not, it's not even close. Um, let's look at another religion here. So you look at Islam. So look at the uh, misogynist, whatever the word is, misogynism in here. Men who follow closely in the faith will receive 72 virgins. Women get just one man for eternity, okay? And all sorts of things they can do on the other side. Muslims believe in a good place called paradise and a bad place called hell. 
and those bound for paradise, let me read it off of here, uh, will experience peace before the resurrection, and those bound for hell will suffer in their graves. And again, it's all based on what you do. And again, that's what it has in common with every other religious world. It's what you do. Christianity is different than all of them because it's based on what Christ has done. And I'd rather lean on that. Because if it's based on what Gary does, I'm in big trouble. And, and so are all of us, right? Um, so then we go to another, Buddhism, probably one of the biggest, but their followers aren't as devout. It's just kind of more of a cultural thing for many. The goal is to overcome suffering by desire and ignorance of reality's true nature, including the impermanence of the non-existence of the self. The whole idea that you think you are somebody, it's an illusion. You are just part of the universe. And again, see how it destroys the individuality that God has created. Most Buddhist traditions emphasize transcending the individual self through the attainment of nirvana or by following the path of Buddhahood and ending the cycle of death and rebirth. By the way, have you noticed there is this Buddha and then there is the chubby Buddha? This is the true Buddha. The other one was actually a follower of Buddha who needed to be on a diet or something. But anyway, it's, 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 this is the true Buddha. He's not like that, eating all the buffet. I like is where you see him, okay? Um, so what, what will he be like in heaven? I mean, this brings up an amazing subject. And really, the Bible, relatively speaking, it doesn't say a lot about it. And I think, and I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, if the Bible told us what heaven would truly be like, we'd probably be jumping off cliffs trying to get there. So what will heaven be like? Um, 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we are, present tense, God's children now. He's being redundant on purpose because it's not like you will become God's child later. No, you are God's child when? Now. Okay? Your spirit man has been redeemed, is perfect in Christ. It's this flesh that's messed up. The flesh will get redeemed at the resurrection, which is what Jesus was talking to the Sadducees about, which they didn't believe in. And what will... What we will be has not yet appeared. You really don't have an idea what you're going to be like. But here's what we do know. That when Jesus appears, we will be like him. And why will we be like him? Because the moment we see him, our bodies will be transformed. You see, Moses just got a glimpse of this. Moses saw the trail of God passing by and it made his face glow. You're going to behold the, Jesus in his full glory and it's going to change your body head to toe when you see him. But you will be like him which means you will have a glorified body in heaven. It'll be different. You'll be able to touch it, but yet at the same time, it'll be a spirit body and with, with flesh, but it'll be a glorified flesh. It'll be incorruptible. You will not get sick. You will not have acne, all the teens said. Amen. Okay. You will not be overweight. You will not have to work out to stay that way. You will have a lot. It'll be an incorruptible body that will never get sick or perish. It'll be recognizable. You will recognize one another in heaven. Okay? In fact, I believe, this is my own opinion here, I believe that you will see people you've never met before on earth and you will know them immediately because of the connection that God will give us. But you will recognize everybody who's gone on before in heaven. Um, you will be free from sin and sadness. And everybody said, do you get, are you like me? Do you get tired of sinning? I can't believe I did that again. I'm, I'm 58 years old. I've been a Christian for 49 years old, 49 years, and I still do this stuff. I still procrastinate. I still think stupid thoughts. Man, I will be glad when all that is done and, and we'll be free from all that. There'll be no more death, no more pain, no more funerals. You know, it's going to be an amazing place. But also, I believe that we will, if we're going to be like Jesus, we'll have some extra travel capabilities. Like Jesus was 
after the, the, the 40 days he walked the earth, all of a sudden he's over here. Next thing you know, the next day he's over here. It's like, how did you get so fast from here to like time travel, if you want to call it that, whatever you want to do. And then the disciples are in a locked room and Jesus just kind of walks through the wall. But they're like, oh, it's a spirit. No, no, I'm not a spirit. Hey, you have something to eat? Give me something to eat. Yeah, Thomas, here, feel the wounds on my side. So we have a body, but yet somehow we have some extra travel capabilities. And then also, we will work and we will eat. In the kingdom, we will not, man, please get out of your mind the whole idea of wings and harps and wearing a diaper on a cloud. That is just, man, that sounds more like hell than heaven. That is not, that is not heaven at all. Okay, that's what the country music people want to teach you. Heaven is amazing. You know what heaven is? Heaven is this earth remade. We will be here on earth, and it will be just like Adam and Eve had. It will be paradise restored. And we will be serving God in his kingdom. We will rule and reign with him. We will be harvesting fruit. We'll be planting things. We'll be doing, we'll have dominion over animals again. We'll do all these amazing things. Now, he talks about laying down with the lion and the tiger and all that stuff and handling snakes and the pits and ass, adders and all that stuff. It's a lot of amazing things that we'll do. And we'll eat in heaven. Amen, right? There will be barbecue in heaven. Wow. I don't know about that, but anyway, something, something better then. So then he goes on to say, and as for the dead being raised, which you guys don't believe in, he, he, Jesus brings it back to the subject. He says, have you not even read the book of Moses? These are guys who are supposed to be experts in the law, book of Moses. And he's like, have you guys not even read it? And I like where, so chapters and verses, numbers, were something that came in the 1600s, and I'm thankful for them. So this is what people do. He didn't say, hey, you know, back in Exodus, that chapter, he's like, you know the passage about the bush? And they're like, oh yeah, I know that story about the bush, the burning bush that Moses saw. How God spoke to Moses saying, what did he say? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He didn't say I was, but now Abraham's gone. He's saying I am, present tense, still am the God of all these guys who've died, which means that they are living somewhere Otherwise, he would have said, I was the God of those people. And Jesus says, and translates this verse for us. He says, for he is not the God of the dead, which you guys believe in. He is the God of the living. All those who've died in Christ, even though their bodies are in the grave, they are living somewhere. And then he says it again. He started this way, and he says again. And not only are you wrong, you are quite wrong. <laughs> You're just wrong. In, in um, Daniel chapter 12, Daniel talks about how there are two resurrections. Okay, that's important. There are two. There's not three, there's not one. There's two resurrections. And he says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So people who are dead will come back to life. They will wake up. And here's the two resurrections. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There are two resurrections. Everybody in this room will be a part of one of them. And the thing is, you get to choose which one. If you accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and you give your life to him and accept his forgiveness because of what he did on the cross, you will participate in the resurrection to everlasting life. But if you say, hey, this is my life, I'm doing what I want, I don't need this Jesus stuff, then you will, re- you will wake to shame and everlasting contempt. And how long does everlasting last? It lasts forever. Let's go to Daniel's companion book at the end of the Bible, Revelation. Dan- John God has helped him see the future. And he says, And I saw the dead, great and small. In other words, important people and not so important people. Standing before the throne. And the books were opened. I believe those books are the books of the Bible. 
I believe God will use the books of the Bible to judge people. Oh, did you not read this here? Just like Jesus is doing here. Did you? How many times has Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, have you not read? Have you not read? It's like, hey, the final exam's coming. Are you not getting ready for it? And then when the exam's here, it's like, have you not read? And then another book was open, which is the book of life. It tells us what that book is. And the dead were judged. Now watch this carefully. By what was written in the books, the Bible and the book of life, according to what they had done. Wait a minute, Gary. You've taught us all along. We're not saved by good works. What does it matter what we do? We're supposed to just trust and have faith in Christ. Unless you reject him. You see, everybody will be judged based on their works. And how many people will will pass that judgment? Zero. Because if you are judged based on your works, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if you are judged based on the work of Christ, guess what? You pass in him. You see, you, you don't want to be judged on your works because you will m- fail in the worst way. And then the sea, everybody's buried at sea or died at sea, drowned, whatever reason, gave up the dead that were in them. And death and Hades, okay, the grave and the, and the pit, okay, gave up the dead that were in them. Now see, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons teach that the word hell just means the grave. Okay, great. If you, let's go with that. Because sometimes it does, but not always. Well, guess what? The grave and everybody buried at sea give up the dead. They're in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And what they had done, it was not enough, and it never is. And death and Hades, the grave, were thrown into the lake of fire. So if you believe that hell is just the grave, look where everybody in the grave ends up, in the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's a great phrase that goes like this. If you're willing to die twice, I'm going to say this wrong now. (laughs) No, never mind. I won't say it because I can't remember it now. Okay, Uh, I'll say it for you next week. And and somebody remember if you remember it, Clayton, you can say it for me later. Okay. And it says if if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, that's it. There's no middle ground. There's not like hell, purgatory, and heaven, or like the Mormons teach three levels of heaven. The Bible talks about three levels of heaven. All it means is this world's atmosphere, outer space, and then eternity. That's what it's talking about. But they want to say there's three levels of heaven. Here you see you're either in the book or you're not. And my question for you this morning, is your name written down in the book? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior to where he put you in the book of life? 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ also suffered once for what? Sins. Who sins? Your sins, my sins. Even that, Gary, like, you remember what I did when I was in college? Yeah, even that. Oh, you mean even what I did when nobody was looking and nobody knows about it but me? Yeah, even that. You mean that that shooter that just killed all those kids and two teachers in Uvalde, he died for that too? Even that. And that you talk about the conspiracy of grace. That's amazing that God would even love people like that because... We're not as far from him as we think. But he goes on to say that righteous for the unrighteous, that he might do what? Bring us to God. It's all about a relationship. Not to bring you into a church only, or to make you more religious, to bring you to where you have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the Spirit. Do you know this, Jesus? I would love for everybody just to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you don't mind obliging me with that. I do that so that everybody can just focus just for a moment. I won't keep you long. But 
with your head bowed and your eyes closed, do you know that you've been born again? Do you know without any hesitation that your name is written in the book of life? You see, you and I have a big problem. We've sinned against a holy God and we will be punished for what we've done. And all our good works do not eliminate all the bad we've done. But Jesus' great work on the cross takes every little thing that you and I have done and every big thing sin that you and I have committed upon his shoulders. And he took your place. And not only does he take all your sin, but he gives you all his righteousness so that when you stand before the throne and to be judged, you look righteous in the eyes of the Father. He did all that for you. And he asked that you would receive that forgiveness by giving your life to him and making him the Lord of your life. If you've never done that, you can do that right now where you're seated. Or if you're watching online, right where you're at in your living room, you could put your faith in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for Jesus' hard-hitting truth that even though they tried to trap him like a tiger in a pit, he walked right over it and he went straight for the truth. We are thankful that there is a resurrection and that there is an eternity and that we will be who you made us to be in a glorified way for all eternity to enjoy not only one another, all the people we've loved and new people we will meet in heaven, but most of all, to enjoy Jesus and his presence. We praise him this morning for the one who made all this possible and all God's people said, amen. So if you've trusted Christ, say, man, I would love to know about this. this. is my cell phone number. Please text me and let me know that you did that. We could talk about your next steps. Hey, I want to talk to you about, before we do question and answer, I want to talk to you about a few things that are really important. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, I know you're just like where you're kind of ready to walk out the door, but I want to talk to you about a couple things really important. The teens will be going to teen camp in June. Today we're going to baptize Natalie, who got saved at camp last summer. So we believe strongly in camp. We have more salvation decisions at camp and VBS than any other time, probably even more camp. And the kids' camp will be in July, okay? And so we really, because of the renovation and the merger and pandemic, we haven't done hardly any fundraising at all. And so what we want to do is we want to basically have a fundraiser here this morning. You don't have to make out any checks this morning or whatever. But I do want you to pray about something, okay? So we, we want to see if we can't raise the money needed for camp right now. What we need is $5,600 more, okay? We've had a bunch of kids already, and their parents pay deposits. We have some money in the account, some money left over from last year, some money that is in the budget, okay? What we need to get approximately 10 kids to kids camp and about 18 teens to teen camp, which is what we're roughing those numbers at, we need $5,600. So here's what I'm suggesting, and you can do some variation of this, okay? And I'm not going to... We're not the kind of church where I ask you to raise your hand because then it'll be all for your glory. We're not putting anybody on the spot. I just want you to think about, pray about what I'm going to show you. I would love for two people to give $1,000. Two families, two individuals to give $1,000. You know, God's blessed you this year and you've got it. Maybe you've got a, another uh, stimulus check and you want to share it, whatever it may be. I think there's two people in this size church that possibly could do $1,000. Not saying it will be easy, but if you can, that'd be great. And if we get four families or four people to just do $500, that would be another $2,000. And then if we can get eight people or families to give just $100, that'd be another eight. <clears throat> and then if things are tight, if we can get 16 individuals or families to give $50, that'd be another $800. And there we would have the $5,600. Okay? So I want you to think about it, pray about it. No one is going to call you or contact you. 
Okay, but if you do, if you give via Venmo or Zelle or electronic draft or whatever, I'm asking you to do this above your tithes and offerings, okay? And it will be it will be a sacrifice for all. We're not asking everybody to make an equal gift. We're just asking everybody to make an equal sacrifice. So uh, all you need to do is designate that for camp, for camp. You don't have to even designate which one if you don't want to. Uh, and you can even give it over time. You can say, you know what, I'll do um, 100 a month for the next eight months, something like that, okay? Um, or what would that be? Anyway, 100 a month for the next five months, sorry. Or just some combination. Of, I'm going to leave it to do you. No one's going to contact you and say, did you give or did you not? Okay, this is between you and God. I just want you to just do one thing, and that is to pray about it. Okay, and then Manuel and the guys, if you'll come help me, um, I, want you, I want everybody to take two of these. Okay, two. Don't, don't need to take more. Just take two. And if you want more next week, take two more and keep taking. And I want you to pray that God would lead you to someone to give to this week. Okay, it may be a neighbor. It may be a relative. It may be someone you meet at the grocery store, whatever it may be. I don't, please don't just leave these somewhere in hopes that someone will pick up. 90% of those will end up in the trash can, and we paid too much money for these to end up in the trash can, okay? Please don't let these end up on the floorboard of your car or become a coaster, you know, <laughs> with a watermark on it, okay? And here's, the other important thing is, I want everybody to look at the QR code. Whoever you give it to, I want you to say something like this that even if you never come to our church, would you please watch this six-minute video? Just ask them to please watch the six-minute video. Because if they never come to our church, but they get saved and they go to another church, praise God, we're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then God will add people to us if he chooses to do that, okay? So make sure you point out the QR code and say, please, if you'll just take six minutes to watch that. So prayerfully give these out, and we're going to be saturating this neighborhood with them as well, but we bought enough to where you could give them out as you meet people out there in the way in your neighborhood. And every week, if you want to grab a couple more off the table, but just please don't take a big stack and let them end up in the trash can, okay? Because we want them, they're valuable, not just for what we paid for them, but because of what they, they can share the gospel, okay? Um, all right. So, hey, Clayton, you want to come up here and help me with question and answer? Um, so you can ask a question about the message. Did everybody get one? Guys? Carl one for me. Hey, about raise your hand if you didn't get them. Okay. All right. Right here, if y'all want to do that, great. All right, cool. Um, let's see here. So you can ask a question of Clayton about Jordan or his mission work or anything like that, or you can ask about the uh, the lessons here uh, from the, this morning's message or anything you read in the Bible this week. Um, here we go. First question. Did the Jews have their own coinage such as when they put coins in the box at the temple or when the disciples used money, and of course Judas and money in the box. Yes, they did. Um, in fact, there was a guy named Judas that lived about 60 years before Jesus that caused the revolution, and he claimed to be the Messiah, and he dumped all the Roman money back on him and printed new coins and said, we refuse to use your money. But then you know, the Romans came back in and kind of killed him and a bunch of others. So they kept squashing those kind of things. You know any more about coins? Not expressly, not, I don't know if it's not anything more Okay. So I don't, I, don't, I don't know much about the so subject. I do know they had some other coins that they used for the pay of the temple tax, and the widow had her two mites. I don't think those were Roman coins. Um, so this question is from out of state. Uh, good morning. My question is, one I know has been talked about before, but I would like to ask it again. It's, it, 
someone who follows God's word and has been born again but has not been baptized, will they still go to heaven and live with God? I'm going to throw you that softball. Yes. Uh, there you go. Next question. Okay. <laughs> I think the go-to example is the uh, the thief on the cross who... Hold it close. Um, oh, okay. The thief on the cross, I think, is our clearest example of that, where Jesus says, today you'll be with me. And so he obviously did not get down off his cross and get baptized. It is an important step of obedience in the first, uh, one of the first commandments for us as believers to do, but it's not a necessity for us to go to heaven. Yeah. There are denominations like the Church of Christ, the Disciples of Christ, and the Christian Church, which are all basically shoot-off splits of the same thing, that teach that baptism does save. And what they do is they misinterpret a verse in the book of Acts that says, baptism for the remission of sins. And they'll say, see right there. I'm like, yeah, one verse out of 150 to tell you how to get saved. And the word for is the, is the key. If I said that Greg is going to jail for murder, is he going there to get murder? Or is he going there because he committed it? It's something that already happened. That's what the word for means there. Yeah. I think there's another verse in First or Second Peter that talks about baptism for salvation. But again, it's a matter of context and understanding what the yes. passage is really saying. Is that saying. the one about Noah? Yes. Yeah, and it says, not the washing of way, way of the flesh, but for an answer of good conscience towards God. So it's a response of, if you've got saved, and good conscience, you need to follow. So Natalie got saved last summer, and she's getting baptized now because she procrastinates. Just <laughs> We all do. Just teasing you. Anyway, what if she had passed away between then and now? I mean, thank the Lord. I, I got baptized when I, I'm sorry, I got saved when I was nine. And then I asked my parents, could I get baptized? And they were not believers. And they said, no, you're not old enough to understand what you're doing. So I said, okay. And out of respect to my parents, I did not get baptized until four years later when I was 13 and I had their approval. So again, thief on the cross, someone on their deathbed in a hospital. You know, I thank the Lord that baptism does not save. It is, a, it is, a, um, it is your public testimony of showing people that I am saved. Um, they say you die twice. When you, once when you stop breathing and the second a bit later on, when somebody mentions your name for the last time. I have to think about that. That sounds pretty deep. I'll let you explain it to me later. <laughs> so what is this thing I was trying to say earlier? If you, if you die once, you'll live twice. But if you live once, you'll die twice. No, I just said it wrong. I, I'll make the mess. You clean it up. How's that sound? Okay. Anyway. I right. think I think you said it right, but I have to think about that for a second. All right. I think uh, I know what you're trying to say. I should have wrote it down. That's what you get. So here's another question for someone who's not with us, able to be with us this morning. Uh, from heaven, will we be able to see our loved ones on earth? And if so, how will we not be sad when we see them suffering on earth? That's a great one. And the, the, the only thing I know about this is um, in Revelation, they look down and they see the, the tribulation saints being persecuted and being killed for the cause of Christ. And the believers in heaven look down and say, how long, O Lord? You know, and, and God's like, just wait, just wait. Okay, go. You know, and so there is some visual there. Now, some people point to Hebrews chapter 12 and say we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses as if people are looking down. I really don't know. I, I think there's limitations, but I really don't know if what happens in Re Revelation is an exception because we're all in heaven, so we're able to be the audience. You add anything? I always get the impression, too, that if, if I'm going to be in heaven, I'm probably going to be preoccupied with other things than looking down on earth. That's, that's a very good point. So, um, 
Here's a question. So if I didn't see my brother who died, will I recognize him? Um, and again, my personal opinion, that's it, all it is. I believe you will. I believe there's something that will connect you that you'll know. Hey, I know you, right? Where from? Yeah, I'm your brother. I passed away before you were born, all that. Also, there are going to be roller coasters in heaven? No, no, of course not. That's dumb. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. Um, will we have Beyond Meat barbecue in heaven? Beyond Isn't Beyond Meat like a lame excuse for vegetarian meat? No, we aren't going to have that junk. No way. So here's another deep question. Um, what is the difference between soul and spirit? Uh, man, theologians have been discussing this for uh, centuries. In fact, there's some people, theologians, that are called dichotomists that believe the soul and the spirit are the same thing, and that your body and, and, and invisible. That's it. The soul and spirit. So the di die, like dissect, cut something in half. I'm not. I'm a trichotomist. Um, Adam, Adam was created and God breathed in him the breath of life and man became a living soul. And Ecclesiastes says that a dog has a spirit. A dog is happy, is sad, dog's mad. Ever seen the videos where the dog is like mad at the owner and the owner's like, come on, forgive me. He's like, mm. The dog keeps doing this, you know. A dog has a spirit. It has, it has all these feelings, but it doesn't have a soul because God didn't breathe the breath of life in him. So I think the eternal part of you that will live on forever is the soul. The spirit of you is a part of you that's happy, sad, and whatever. And that's a very lame, uh, oversimplified definition. Um, any other questions? Yes. In fact, so we have seven years of the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, usually wedding feasts were a week long. This will be a week of years in heaven. <clears throat> then we return. Jesus conquers this earth and rule and reign over this earth. And the people who've survived the tribulation will rule and reign over them. As they repopulate, we won't repopulate. They will repopulate the earth. And then at the end of a thousand years, when Satan is let loose for a season, then he will destroy this earth, it'll, this actual physical earth. And then he will make a new heaven and a new planet earth. So we will rule and reign for a thousand years on this planet, but you'll see it eaten restored as it starts growing again and being, you know, all the issues of pollution will go away. Life spans will expand. So yes, excellent point, Patrick. So the only reason we say is if you die tomorrow, like someone who died recently, we're saying they're in heaven. It's because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And where does the Lord? He ascended to heaven. So that's why we connect the dots there. But yes, it's not about clouds and all that. It is about a beautiful kingdom here on earth. So, yes. Rob, what were you saying? He had to be the first. Yes, that's right. That's great. Yeah, because he had to make the, um, put his own blood on the altar. and the, That's why he said, Mary, don't touch me. It doesn't mean, he doesn't mean like, don't touch me, touch me. Don't cling to me. Okay, I'm hugging you. I'm hugging. Okay, it's time for me to go. I have to send to my father. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I think your point's really important, though, especially when we're conveying the gospel to someone. This is just not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, this is reconciliation to God, and to really stress that point. I think it's kind of an American concept that we want the next best thing, heaven is it. But for a lot of other cultures, that whole separation from God is huge. And so the fact that God has provided a reconciliation, a means back to Him, is so deeply important in the central part of the gospel. So I think it's important to share that that whenever we're talking with someone, it's not just, hey, you get to go to heaven. Yeah, that's the cherry on top, but it's the here and now. We are restored back to God by the blood of Christ. 
Yeah, and let me close with this. Um, John Piper said, if you could go to heaven and everybody you loved was there and all your favorite things to do could be done and all your favorite foods and everything about it that made it wonderful, but Jesus would, wasn't there, would you, still, would you be okay with that? Of course, the answer should be no, that we should be that much in love with Jesus that he's the first face we want to see. All right, let's, Clayton, would you dismiss us in prayer? Uh, let me just point out, make sure you take care of these cards. Um, you can come back and get them after lunch if you're staying for lunch. You can get more out of the box if you didn't get some already. already. But just please take care of them and pray about them as you give them out. And um, All right, let's stand. And Clayton's going to dismiss us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your love for us. Lord, that you came to this earth to restore us back to you, Lord. We thank you for your word this morning that we are able to look through and, and learn from your teachings and apply it to our lives, Lord. I, I pray that we would, that we wouldn't just sit here this morning, listen to this, walk out and not change. But Lord, would you allow us to be a gospel witness in each of our communities, Lord, to our friends and family, to those that we meet at the store, and Lord, that your glory would be known on this earth, God. Thank you for this time together. I thank you for the opportunity to praise you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.